episode 322. When we look at setting of labor rates, we're going to be getting away from the multiples of the hourly wage cost we pay at tech to an actual percentage of your actual cost per billed hour. And that's a, that's a different model of how to manage the business completely. And the more efficient you are, your cost per build hour comes down. The more inefficient you are, your cost per build hour goes up. And as a percentage of that cost per build hour to establish my labor rate is going to put me right out of the market. So as a business owner of the future, I've got to understand total shop efficiencies, as do my team. And I think there's more to this than pay. Because I think there's a lot of elements that have to start to be considered if we're going to compete for the talent that we really need in our stores. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hello, hello, automotive aftermarket professionals. Hey, if you earn your living as a shop owner, technician, parts supplier, business coach, among the others in the aftermarket, now here's a perfect interview to keep you thinking about the future. Carm Capriato here with Remarkable Results Radio, and I had the pleasure to sit and talk to Bill Haas and Bob Greenwood about the future shop from a business coach's point of view. This episode is supported by Federal Mogul Motor Parts and Garage Gurus for serious technical training and support online, on-site, and on-demand. Garage Gurus is everything you need to know. Get more information at fmgaragegurus.com. I hear all the time from aftermarket professionals thanking me for delivering strong educational value to them. Ideas, insights, trends, and stories of personal achievement with a dose of wisdom makes this the best aftermarket talk radio anywhere. I can only hope that you find the inspiration to help you on your own remarkable pathway to success. And thanks for being here to soak up your share. Remember, your learning curve never sounded so good. All Town All Academy Lives are repurposed to podcasts, but you knew that. So if you're looking to dive into the single subject podcast forum, go to remarkableresults.biz slash academy. Hey, another big welcome to Facebook friends of the podcast, Michael Rosenberger, Thomas Papineau, Robert DeMall, Andy Bellamere, and Doug Rosencutter. And new LinkedIn connections, Nate Peterson, Keith DeFazio, and Jim Ornelas. Thanks for every social connection you've made to the podcast. There's a convenient page with every social link. It sits there for you, remarkableresults.biz slash social. Now let's hang with Bill Haas from Haas Performance Consulting and Bob Greenwood, President and CEO of Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center. These veteran aftermarket business coaches spent some time with me at the Vision 2018 studio. And, and I really decided to take the topic of the Sunday morning roundtable that was held at Vision about the shop of the future by the way, that was released as episode 309, and bring that topic to these two business coaches. If you're a student of this industry, you'll hear a few common themes. However, if you aren't thinking long-term, you need to pay attention to this interview. We do talk about the impact that tech is going to have on the service business, but the discussion went into running a great business and what it will take to hire, retain, and compete for great talent what training will necessarily be like, and some key profit measures. Enjoy the interview, and we'll talk soon.
Hey, Carm Capriato here in the Remarkable Results Radio Studio at Vision 2018. Oh my, look who's with me. Okay, guy, well, you already know who's here. It's Bill Haas from Haas Performance Consulting and my friend Bob Greenwood from uh, the Automotive Aftermarket Learning Center. There is an incredible town hall happening here Sunday morning, and there's some great people going to be on it. And it's, it's called The Future. Are you prepared? I have the honor, guys, to moderate that panel. I'm grateful to uh, Vision for selecting me to work with this, this great outstanding cast. But as, as I was thinking about it and helping build that, I thought of how much fun we had last year in the same room in, in, the, in this studio. Uh, Barry Barrett was with us, and we, we just talked stuff. It was great. I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. A lot of fun. And when I started to think about the future, are you prepared? We're going to have an industry trainer and Chris Chesney, two shop owners, Keith Williamson and Summer Guerrero. We're going to have technician Eric Ziegler. And did I mention Donnie Seifer uh, from NASTAF? And, and Chris Chesney, um, director, senior director of training at CarQuest Technical Institute. And they're going to take that perspective. And as I was... You know, preparing for this, I said, wouldn't it be the coolest if I could get two business coaches to come inside the studio? And we talked about the shop of the future from your perspective. It is a intimate one-on-one accountability coaching partner with the shop owner. They're going to talk about some really big things about how we prepare. But you probably know today if some of your clients are prepared. And, and, and if not, you're helping them figure it out. So, Bob, is the future bright? Future's exciting. I wish I was 25 years younger, um, just from the perspective of what the opportunities are going to be. You've heard me talk about the trade days are over. Moving into a profession is exciting because we're finally going to elevate the aftermarket to what it has to be and what it should be. We're in a knowledge-based business running a shop today. Consequently... You have to have the perspective of management and the ownership to develop a culture of learning on a continuous basis. That today doesn't exist, but it will in the shop of the future. It must. We, we talk about this so much in the circles that it seems that I'm in, Bill. We talk about this being a perpetual student. It's one of my favoriteest quotes. Be a perpetual, constantly learning. Yet, we see the same faces here at Vision. We see a lot of the same faces. Are you seeing new ones in your I'm class? seeing a lot of new faces this year. I saw a lot of new faces last year. I see even more new faces this year. Ooh. It's also, at the same time, I'm also seeing, I'm not seeing some people that I have seen here regularly for, for, for many, many, many years. I don't know why. I mean, there's circumstances and situations, things happen in life and, and what have you. And I'm certain that they're not here because they've decided they don't like vision or they don't like the training there's just something else that's you know changed in their life probably and i think when i look at a lot of the people that i've seen here for many many years i can also look at a lot of them and see that they're preparing for that business to go through a transition to the future owner which i think is a really good thing and so what I'd really be interested to know when it comes into this old faces, new faces kind of thing is how many of these new faces that we're seeing are somehow still connected to the business of the people that we used to see here? That's a great idea. We had lunch today with, uh, with Mark 
shirts, and he's got people flying up tomorrow to attend some classes. So I think some of those new faces are becoming um, adoptees of the guys who have finally opened their eyes and said, listen, it's just not me as a business owner, not me as the head tech. we got to send the shop. Well, and I saw this a couple of weeks ago. I did a conference in, in Florida, and, you know, I know a lot of shop owners in Florida. I mean, the ASA Florida group was a strong, strong group for a lot of years, so I recognize a lot of those folks, and I'm speaking at this conference, and there were a number of people that came in that had somebody with them. This is my manager. This is my son who's taking over the business kind of a thing. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. It's refreshing to hear, Bob. Do you see the trend changing? It is. And uh, I've had shops close down completely, you know, to bring the entire staff to classes. I mean, that to me is entrepreneurship. They're willing to make the investment and they get their investment back. Consider that, you know, a few weeks ago, I was in Rochester, Minnesota doing a class only for five shops. But they brought every employee of those shops. We had a class of 40 people. And we walked through the whole concept of what the business is today and how it's to be measured and, and how they affect the measurement and the numbers of the business. By the end of the day, that there were teams being formed in each shop. We can do this. Because management had the foresight to educate his own team. We have to change and go to a new level. But we have to do it together. Yeah, it's exciting. And I'm starting to see it as well. I think there's some other things that we're seeing that that are going to make a difference, not just at the shop level. I was asked to speak at a national sales meeting for a manufacturer, right? And they said, um, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, having this national sales meeting. And so our focus a lot of times has been on preparing our salespeople and our sales managers to work with distributors. Wrong. And they said, we don't want that anymore. We want people to come in and speak at our national sales meeting so they understand what's happening at the shop level so that when they go out, they go to the shop and they spend time with the shop and they become a resource and help the shop and really understand what goes on at the shop. And I'm like, genius, finally. You guys know my background, right? Distribution. This is a 20-year preach of mine a 20-year preach to the manufacturers that they have got to immerse themselves into the success of the service professional. And they have, to a degree, with certain rebates and some marketing pieces, but the, but the educational value of that face-to-face relationship, that rep, that it doesn't matter if it's, if it's the job or distributor rep or if it's the manufacturer rep, has got to be empathetically bleeding with the success of that and that's where the relationships and the connections and in the world of Amazon what other great differentiator could you have but oh, that absolutely. but that finally realizing you don't walk in and ask the question are you busy right. silly question to ask well and i think you know from my perspective what what i think people have failed to realize for a long time is that parts won't get sold if there isn't somebody to do the work that's right uh, absolutely so how can we help so it's got to be about so how, how are you going to help them? How are you going to make them a better business? We started the podcast what, three years ago, 300 and plus some episodes ago. And I reached out to the distribution team and I said, you know what you need to do with your, uh, your, your salespeople? You need, to, you need to make sure they have my app on their phone and they listen so they can bring the ideas that they're hearing from the other service professionals to their client. Wouldn't it be cool if I'm a service professional, Bill, and you're the salesperson, you go in and says, hey, uh, remarkable results radio. Did you hear that 
idea you were talking about, some marketing ideas the other day for retention. Did you hear it? Episode whatever number. I, as the shop owner, would remember that gem that you sent me. And I'm not saying it's the podcast. I'm saying it's an article. I'm saying there, there's so many other resources. But that's what the relationships today are about. They're, they're bringing gems of wisdom and ideas. You, you know, Be the idea machine. Well, and, and you have to put yourself in a position of helping people understand what the opportunity is. Because let's face it. There's only a small, very small percentage of shops that are represented here at a great event like Vision. How else do we get to touch all those other shops? And that has to happen through those people that are out there calling on them and helping them understand that there is something. There is a resource. There is an article to read. There's a podcast to listen to. There's a – because – There's a video to watch. Yeah, something – because they're not all going to show up in a training class. I'm talking with Mike Zralik, a technical product specialist with Federal Mogul Motor Parts. Mike, are you an extension of the technical support center we all know as Garage Guru? Most definitely. You know, I spend a lot of time there. Um, I'm involved in all the classes that go on there. I actually host classes there, such as our ASC test prep courses. Um, so very much so an extension of that. Mike, you're in the shop, so what's the greatest outcome that you see from the techs and service advisors that you're spending time with? Not only are they learning about great product, but we get to talk shop. So, like, you know, I was in a shop earlier today, and we were talking about some electrical diagnosis he was doing, and he was actually having a problem finding some schematics, and we were able to work with that and talk back and forth. So I was able to get educated on a problem he's having in the field, you know, where I can share that with others and, and I can share other ideas from other people with him. Do you actually put product in the hands of the technicians? You have to. That's, you know, in, in this industry, a lot of guys are like myself. You got to touch it, feel it, play with it. You know, just telling them about features and benefits isn't going to sell it. You put it in their hands, that's going to sell it hands down. So you take the new Wagner OEX brake pad and you put it in someone's hands. What, what happens? First thing they do is say, wow. Uh, you know, and they, then they start asking questions about the unique design of it, the unique shape, and, and the purpose of that. You know, and they're very blown away by the technology that we put into it. They're amazed by it, and they're they're loving it. Eyes light up, aha moments. You bet, you bet. And why is it taking so long to get this out in the market? And I need them, and I want it right now. Exactly. Federal Mogul Motor Parks' Garage Gurus is your go-to source for the vehicle training, technology, and answers you need to keep your next job on track. On-site, online, or on-demand, the gurus are here to help keep your business and your career on the road to success. Visit fmgarageguru.com. Okay, advancing vehicle technology, Bill and Bob, the growing shortage of competent techs, and of course, the over-ever-educated consumer who's plugged in and knows everything. I'd like to kind of break that apart a little bit. Let's talk about um, the future shop and the vehicle technology and a little bit of the tech shortage because it, it may go hand in hand. How do you see it? Well, the amount of software, it's changing to a software platform in the vehicle. They're estimating by 2022, 2023, there'll be 500 million lines of software code in the average vehicle. Um, and that's a software platform. So the mechanical device is changing radically. So now you're moving to a, an era where the technician has actually got to be an analyzer and be able to analyze the vehicle and the software. 
accordingly, which is a whole new training gap. Um, so we've talked about it before where I see definitely a technician is going to require anywhere in the area of 100 hours of training a year to stay level in their knowledge. Um, they are a true professional. They totally get it. And if you go back and understand the technology of this vehicle and how it's developing, that's a whole different realm as compared to the mechanic years. It, we are really moving into a whole new profession. And I think it starts internally where the owner must build this team of professionals and conduct themselves accordingly. I heard you say the word software engineer once. Yeah, uh, and software engineer is been thinking about that too maybe it should be a software analyst okay you're right you know i said the words engineer to somebody on, on a podcast a, a while back and it was fonslow and he and he says ah, i don't think i'm going to be an engineer because i was really trying to connect that you know brainiac level that, that these guys need to know at but software analyst i like that so the tech is going to kind of get inside that job description and imagine uh service advisor saying to the consumer says you know i've got to bring john he's our software analyst to look at your vehicle what what are you talking about yes you have a very complex vehicle today and he has a specialty skill to analyze that software here's where i think the challenge comes in because to bob's point you're going to have this level of technology we haven't seen before that person who has that knowledge and that expertise to deal with that complexity of that vehicle can't be the business owner. So the model has to change because the model typically has been the best tech in the shop has been the owner of the shop. That that we have to break. We have to break that the owner of the shop really is an owner in terms of a business person and finds that software analyst, whatever that name's going to be, and that's their job. They can't be the owner and the most qualified person in the shop to do the work. So because of future, and I'm a, a tech today who has really got the passion to own my own shop, your message is, please, don't go into business because you love to fix cars. Absolutely. Right. That, wrong, that, wrong, that's the message. Exactly. That, that is bad. the message. A true business person. Go into it because you want to run and solve people's. You want to run a great business by solving people's problems. You want to get your team to do it for you. I guess if it was me and the wife and another tech and we were going to kind of bootstrap this for a few years, sometimes bootstrapping lasts five or ten and we're struggling and it's a hobby and we can't pay our bills. But the advice would be go large or go home. You don't have to go large. I think you have to go correct. I think you can still be small and do it well and do it right. And to me, that's doing it correctly. But if you're, if you're going to remain small, and let's say two, three, four, five bays, um, with this technology coming into play, with the, with the investment that's going to be required in equipment and ongoing training, that brings up the term of specialization. Absolutely. I and agree. the shop may have to specialize in two or three brands, not, not all makes and models. You, can't, you cannot run this platform in a small shop, all makes and models, because the depth of knowledge you require is phenomenal. The equipment and the space you require, the investment is going to be huge. So we've interviewed some guys that are specialists, and then they said, we're going to open up a second shop. We're doing all makes, all models. And they said, well, be, because we can. And I still got the specialty shop over there and the Beamers. Oh, the European will go over there even if they come into the other shop. And we're going to kind of do a little domesticing over here. 
And I thought, when I started to hear that, and again, that's two or three out of all these interviews in, in the size of the industry, but I was surprised that they wouldn't have stopped and just opened up another Euro shop in another, in another zip code. Well, no. The reason that they're doing what they're doing is because it's what their customers are asking them to do. So they, let's say, for example, they have a Euro shop and they've got a great reputation. They do really, really well in their community and their customers love them. But they own a couple BMWs, and they own a Yukon. And the customer is saying, I love you guys. You do great work. I, I don't want to go anywhere else. And it's almost like they're begging them to fix the Yukon. And so that Euro specialist is then saying, well, I can take everything that I do. I can take all my processes and systems, and, and I can apply it to anything else. So why don't I open the shop where I can serve that customer and take care of their Yukon? So is what you're saying, Bob, that it's, it's, it's Greenwood's garage, and inside of this garage, I've got platforms of techs that work. They're all knowing, all being, all current software, all right training for Euro, for Asian, for domestic. Is that what you're saying or are you saying we just need to open up a specialty shop the way i'm seeing it is that specialization of a brand is going to be required so that if you're a shop and you got to do your homework on your customer base you may specialize in three max four brands so that means that coopetition now takes place with your other independents who are on the same mindset as you and he looks after brands that you don't but your customers still bring the car to you because you are going to make sure it's looked after properly and you have a very professional relationship with the other independent shop who specializes and now you're sharing customers that's stretching a business model isn't it that is stretching a business model but it's been done before sure it's been done before and you know there's nothing wrong with it so there's a way to do that and not have to go large. I mean, because otherwise, to go to the degree of having specialization within the shop, now you are talking large, right? Because if, if you looked at it and said, well, what does specialization look like in the shop? Well, I could have the wheel service specialist. I could have the brake specialist. I could have the engine performance specialist. Oh, and then I could have the Euro specialist, and I could have the Asian specialist. And I could have a driveline specialist. Well, now as you start to build that, this thing gets really, really big, right? But that can be done. So, And I, I think that's one of the things that I, I don't think there's one perfect system. A lot of it is what are you willing to do? What are you willing to invest? And, and that's, the, that's the key to all of this is because if you're going to have that specialization, then – Part of that specialization is, do I have all the information systems? Do I have all the tools? And that, I think, becomes the key. And so is it I'm going to do that because it's cool or I'm going to do that because it's a way to have a great business that makes money? And there's your business entrepreneur in the future running a shop, and he's looking at it strictly as a business, not as a technician today and a business owner. And you... And I think, too, that the average shop down the road, and I'm talking maybe within five years, is going to have to be at least eight bays and maybe on even up to ten. And you look at just calibration alone within a shop. I've been told that you're going to require 35-foot wide bays if you're going to do calibration on a vehicle. The light has to be right. The yes, floor has to be level. It's just unbelievable. 
unbelievable stuff has to be set up. So it changes the whole dynamics of the future business. 24-hour shop someday, say in the next 10, 12 years? I think that's going to be difficult based on personnel. And uh, there are some people that may like to work at night, but the majority of people in this industry, I don't think, would like a 24-hour Okay, shift. 25 years from now, the autonomous car is kind of slowing down. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. It needs service. Where is it going to go? To the specialty place that is operating at 24-7? I think you're going to see people attempt those kinds of things. You know, one of the things we know about, for instance, the millennial generation is they'd like flexibility in their work schedule. Well, what better way to give people flexibility in their work schedule, work schedule than to run a 24-hour operation because now I can – have a lot of flexibility in work schedule. I can have people start at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and, you know, work till 10 o'clock at night, for instance. Guys, where's pay going to have to go? And up. Up. Way up. Way up. And commitment to training. Way up. What amazes me is how many owners look at what they're paying their staff and what they pay their staff they themselves couldn't live on, and yet they expect their staff to. Um, but as a professional... Uh, you've got to be paid well for your knowledge. You're in a knowledge-based business. You have competent people. They must be paid well. So that comes back to, you know, the whole concept of where labor rates have to go to support that kind of talent. And uh, competency, you know darn well, competent people make a company money. So when you have competent people, they're going to be paid well. But the other thing, too, I I see that's going to be affected here is the efficiency of the operation. And a lot of your costs are driven by inefficiency. And when we look at setting of labor rates, we're going to be getting away from the multiples of the hourly wage cost we pay at tech to an actual percentage of your actual cost per build hour. And that's a, that's a different model of how to manage the business completely. And the more efficient you are, your cost per build hour comes down. The more inefficient you are, your cost per build hour goes up. And as a percentage of that cost per build hour to establish my labor rate is going to put me right out of the market. So as a business owner of the future, I've got to understand total shop efficiencies, as do my team. And I think there's more to this than pay, because I think there's a lot of elements that have to start to be considered if we're going to compete for the talent that we really need in our stores. And so I start to look at things like, why why aren't we either providing them all the tools or have some tool allowance where if you know if they want to own their own tools that's okay but then there should be a tool allowance and there should probably be a tuition reimbursement so if somebody's invested 2 years of their life and you know thousands of dollars in their education to become an automotive technician then when they get hired their employer should be able to give them on every paycheck some reimbursement towards paying off their student debt. Um, we got to start to look at putting retirement programs in place, and not just that we have a retirement program. This, this astounds me. When I Not a lot of shops have retirement programs, but when you talk to shops, you'll usually find more shops that had a retirement program. And had's the key word, and when when you... Look at that and you go, what do you mean you had? Well, nobody would participate. So it's not the retirement program. We need to start providing our employees with the resources of financial planning so that they understand what they need to do today to have a, a you know, 
retirement. Paycheck to paycheck. Right. Uh, I need to contribute to my 401k at the age that I'm at. I can't afford another dime. i got to pay the rent and the heat and the light and put food yeah. on the table. Oh, by the way, we have a baby on, on board. Yeah. You're right. So why didn't it work would be the question. And well, Because there was no education. There was, there was no education, and, and, and it's very possible that there was no money uh, left, no discretionary money. And, and it's funny to say discretionary money would be for retirement. I mean, that's really an oxymoron, but the fact that's of the matter. That's supposed to be in your budget. It, that's right. <laughs> that, that, absolutely right. You know, I, I have a client who just steps out of the box and is thinking, and what he has done for over 10 years now is uh, he's in, taught his staff to have a professional financial counselor and to set money aside and any additional monies they get during the year because of business take those monies and put them with your investment counselor then he does one day a year it's usually during january february you have the entire morning off you let me know which morning it is book an appointment with your financial advisor and uh, you take the morning off but you're going to get paid for it but you sit down with your financial advisor and make sure you go over your portfolio and you're on track to where you're supposed to be See, when you hear that kind of thing, that employee doesn't look for other opportunities. He's not looking to leave and find a shop because he's found the environment that says, I've got things here I won't get anywhere else. That becomes the employer's competitive advantage. And that's something I think that a lot of businesses miss. When we talk about competitive advantage, they're always thinking about marketing. They're always thinking of, oh, why will a customer come here instead of, well, you better start looking at your competitive advantage for your talent. Could be staff longevity. Absolutely. I love to work here. The culture's right. I'm being helped on multiple fronts, even personally. You know, with, with the financial and plan. And you just said it. It is a culture. It is and, a culture. And the shop of the future will develop a great cultures. A, to retain the competent people, but also to give them a life outside of the business. Well, not only that, I think you have to there, – there's another piece of that that you can't lose sight of. And when that culture's right, your customers know that people want to work there. And they provide the customer with a exceptional experience just because their head's in the right place. Uh, yeah, take care of your people. They'll take care of your customer. An right. overused, you know, uh, if you will, axiom in our industry. But it's the truth. And as soon as people start adopting it, they will discover you know, a massive turnaround. And, and you also become the preferred place that people want to come and work at, too. Right. Because Wouldn't it be cool if you had a list of people that have approached you saying, Call me when you have an opening. I'd like to work here. Honest to God. I mean, we, we've heard the stories on the podcast of those great things. Now, the long to go with is we're thinking about pay, retention, benefits. Let's talk about bonuses and profit sharing. I mean, that to me goes right into this additional retention piece. But are you guys seeing that the shop of the future is going to have to just open up the books and, 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 and share? Well, they should already, and I think a lot of them would if they weren't embarrassed by what the book showed. You know, a lot of the best shops do that already. Um, But Bill's got a valid point. When the owner is embarrassed, um, he doesn't communicate with the team. And, uh, you know, it's better to maybe halt and just step back for a while and have that owner take a look and say, I'm going to have a staff meeting. And the purpose of this staff meeting is just I'm going to share with my team for the first time they have ever heard it out of my mouth why I opened a shop and went into business. 
what was my feeling, what was my vision, why did I do this? And then I realized that going through all this wasn't easy because I wasn't doing it right. But I am learning. And my numbers have proven to me I haven't done it right. But I'm going to learn. I want you guys to be part of that and learn with me. Let's build this business together. Very few shop owners will speak emotionally to their team because they perceive it a weakness. But when you're honest and sincere with your team, they can see it and they say, you know what? I've never heard an owner speak like this before. I want, I want to listen. How can I help? I want to be part of this. I like your honesty and where you're going. Put your heart on your sleeve. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. When you got the people that care and have a passion, they want to be part of. Labor rates, efficiencies, these are all things that we have to con be concerned about. Are we ever going to have to partner better with the OEs? I don't know the OEs necessarily. There may be some opportunity partnering with the OEs because I think there are certainly markets where the dealer support of the OE will challenge the customer's experience. So for that reason, I think there might be some opportunities to partner with the OEs. But I think a lot of the partnering and, and collaboration is really going to come right back to what you were talking about earlier with the technology is a lot of the technology that we're going to see in the, the vehicle in order to be able to service those systems in the car is going to take collaboration with a, a partner. Okay, it's kind of like if you look at the look at hybrid servicing hybrid cars today, the hybrid service, that really only happens because a shop has partnered with somebody. They really have a partner in that that allows them to do that battery service, battery re reconditioning, you know, whatever level they're at with that. And I think when we start to look at things like telematics and, you know, autonomous vehicles, we're going to have partners. Shops are going to have partners to do that. They're not going to do all of that on their own. I agree. And also, to expand on that, if you look at the software platforms of the vehicles increasing, yet the, the time to build the, the vehicle is still the same as it is today. They don't have time to test the software, which I see is going to mean more recalls will start to happen. And the consumer will get frustrated, but those recalls must be looked after. Now, they also got regular service to do on their customer's vehicle at the OE, and they can't handle it because of the recalls. They're tied up with that stuff. So the idea of possibility of partnering with a great shop, all of a sudden getting access to their training to be part of that OE arena, yet independent, all based on business relationships coming together. I know it's way far out there, but business people can do business together. Absolutely. The thing that I think we've got to get shops to do differently today than what we've done in the past is we've spent the last hundred years reacting to whatever happened to take place in the industry. And so the best shops are going to be the shops that are going to be proactive and looking for the opportunities and not waiting for something to happen and then react to it. That's going to be the key, I, I really believe. That's going to be the shop of the future that become what you said something interesting early Carm when you said student and I think every shop has got to put themselves in a position of being the student and what I mean by that is learning the industry paying attention to all the things that are changing in the industry 
you can't do that if you're at the service counter writing service. You can't do that if your head is under the hood because you need to spend a big part of your day reading, studying, listening, you know, to everything that's going on there. You need to understand when you see the financial report from a parts manufacturer, when you see the financial report from a OE, a manufacturer, those are things that tell the story about what is really happening in the industry, okay? You know, I, I take one recently that that I think really strikes a chord is we look at the dealership today, okay? Dealership profits are flat. So, Profitability of the dealer store today is at 2.5%. Of the entire operations of the dealership, their profit is at 2.5%. All right. But they were selling more cars than they've ever sold. I mean, we're taking a little dip right now, but if we look at last year, 17 million cars that were sold. If we look at a trend over the last five years, it was on a steady incline in terms of the number of cars being sold, but yet... The profit remains at 2.5%. How come as sales increased, profit didn't increase? So what's happening at the dealership today is the dealership is looking at the only opportunity that they have to improve the profitability in the dealership is in service. And they're going to become a very aggressive competitor for what the independents in the aftermarket have been especially, providing for especially a long, long retaining time. that customer who buys a used vehicle from them. Well, and you know, here now it's interesting when we look at the the service lane at a dealership. If there's ten people standing in line at the the write up counter at the service, they know today that five of those ten people will not return. So they know the opportunity is so huge. Will they get it right? We hope not. Hope not. We hope not. But some, but some will. I just encourage them keep doing what they're doing. Well, <laughs> they are us. reaching out. I, I hear all kinds of coupons, well, okay, programs, but, flyers, radio ads. But but think about this. And you know, I'm a little guy, and I'm speaking at a conference, and a gentleman approaches me after the conference and says, "I love what you do. I really really like what you shared here today. Do you ever work with dealerships?" I said, no, I haven't, unfortunately, but, I mean, what's to say there's not some point that somebody who understands the aftermarket really, really well won't defect and go help them? I hope they never learn what the aftermarket does so well. I want to cover the big elephant in the room, Amazon, and the transparency of prices. Do you see, guys, from your perspective and the feedback you get from the field, uh, people concerned, uh, not about the distribution level and what Amazon means to selling parts, but do, are you concerned with the transparency in parts pricing? I think the transparency in parts pricing, you can't get away from whether you want it or not. It's irrelevant. It's there, and it's going to remain there. So where are you going to increase your profitability if your margins are going to continue to go down? It has to do all about being productive. It's about selling all the time you have available. It's build hours. That's the profession we're in. So you're not really encouraging me to be sure my labor rate's up there. You're just looking for me to be productive. Exactly. Exactly. Get that shop to operate at 80% site efficiency. And the average shop right now is between 56 and 61. That's a production. That is profitability. That's where you can get it. 
you got to look at how many hours they were at work and how many of those hours you sold. And whatever the difference is, you better find out what they were doing that you couldn't sell. Absolutely right. An average tech there eight hours a day and is only being billed out 4.8 to 5.2. Really? And by the way, this is not all about tech. This is about the operation. Exactly. This is about Absolutely. marketing Absolutely. service, right at closing exactly. deals. You, right. you always have to look at both pieces. There's the operational piece and the operational pieces, your systems and processes, and what is malfunctioning that makes it take longer, okay? And then you have to look at the individual piece and you have to look at the individual's work habits of what are the things that they're doing that are taking them away from work okay so yeah you look at both pieces you look at the operational piece and you look at the individual piece and then you know where you where it can be fixed i uh was talking to a trainer the other day and i said so how many hours of training for technicians are we going to need to see in the very not distant future and he basically said today is the distant future and he said, a hundred hours of in-leader-led case study, hands-on, and then another 60 online. What are you hearing? I know the people I get to know in the industry are definitely working towards that because they realize it is a reality. But now that means you've got to plan this out. One thing that's got to disappear is nighttime training for technicians at high-end diagnostic stuff. You're exhausted. You mentally can't absorb it. Plan the business properly so that classes are being done during the day. I've talked to a couple of industry trainers about that, and they know when they look and look these guys in the eyes, and they're half they're, they're just they're spent. The knowledge transfer it, it happens in the manual. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Here, I came here from. I'm sleeping. I came here for the manual. I guess. I guess I'll have to go back and read it and study it on my own and find another four hours to get into it. And they want to see daytime. Why can't our industry convince itself that we need to schedule around it? This whole thing about training, and I, you know, throw whatever number of hours you want on it. I don't care if it's forty, a hundred, or a hundred. You know, in the classroom and sixty online. I mean, those are those are great numbers. But to me, the answer really lies in you have to pay for it. It has to be paid for. And what I mean by that is you're not only going to pay for the training, but you're going to pay your technician for being at the training. And this this expecting the guy to work all day and then go to training for three hours at night on his own. Away from his family. Yeah. yeah on his own dime, not pay for transportation or meals. or, or yeah. Right. Uh, it, that seems to be the trend that I continue to hear. Yet... We are not turning that tide quicker, quick enough and fast enough. Well, so offer training during the day. What do you do when there's no butts in the seats? I mean, for the training, for the trainer, the training company, they're going to go, I, I, can't, I can't do that. The only time I can put butts in the seats is at night. Yeah. And, and they can't go out and say, I, I, I'm changing my business model as a trainer to daytime trainer. Let me show you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me show you. And the guy, you know, starves to death, goes out of business, even though he was a great trainer. Because the industry hasn't made that flip. Maybe that's why we're here. We keep talking about it. But then they're looking at training classes that's coming up. One's coming up next week. I just found out about it last month. How do you plan your business when you're understaffed and you, who's going to go to that class? It's daytime training, which it must be. We're understaffed to start with. 
Now we're not planning out the training properly for who's going to attend what courses, where are they going to be. And we should be planning this out a year in advance. Simple, simple case in point, people next year should be planning for vision. They should know when it is and planning it now. And, and there's another piece of that collaboration is why is it that someone outside of the repair shop decides what training is going to be presented in that community? Why aren't the repair shops working with their vendor supplier partners saying, here's the training we need in the next six months or the next year, whatever it is, and put it out there and say, we need a class on this, we need a class on this, we need a class on this. I mean, I know how it happens and why it happens, but that's got to be fixed. And and this came up in my, my class yesterday that led to some really interesting discussion is, you know, we were talking about hiring people and assessing their skills before they're hired. And I said, why aren't we assessing their skills before we send them to training? Why do we keep sending the same guy to the same training class? Because that happens to be the only training class that we get. Managed training. And it, it needs to be another major responsibility for the CEO or the general manager of the business. And he can't do it if his head is under the hood of the car. Bingo. It's a position in the company today. Thank you for the future thoughts. Any final words for our audience? Slow down. Get your head wrapped around this and start moving forward. It's, it's going to mean everything. Everything. And if you're not prepared to change, you let us know how it's going to work. Oh, and I want to see the math behind it, too, by the way. Perfect. You never end a Greenwood episode without knowing the math. Thank you, Bob. Bill? For me, it's real simple, and I'm, I'm really, this has really become my, my mantra of late, is that the shop of the future is not doing what it did yesterday. So are you telling me as an owner I need to think more strategically, right? You have to think more strategically. You have to become more innovative, and you have to think about where you can collaborate, and you got to think about where you want your business to be five years from now and what that path looks like to get it there. Because all these things we talked about today, great ideas, they're not going to change overnight. But if you don't start doing something today, we'll, you'll never get there. And you got to start doing something today because if you don't do something different today, what that really tells me is you're still doing what you did yesterday and there's no future in that. Which means, too, that you got to have a daily routine moving forward in your business as an owner. What is your routine? So here's my takeaway from both of you. Book the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bill Haas from Haas Performance Consulting and Bob Greenwood, President and CEO of Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center, for spending some quality time talking about the future shop. From a business coach's perspective, find the talking points for our interview, additional bio information, and links to previous episodes from Bill Haas and Bob Greenwood at remarkableresults.biz slash E322. No matter how you're listening, don't forget, turn off the news and enjoy your commute with Remarkable Results Radio. Now, besides the hundreds of interview shows, be sure to dive into the Town Hall Academy archives found at remarkableresults.biz slash academy. As of this moment, there are over 63 single-subject lessons to help you gain a ton of knowledge. And as always, I thank you for joining us in your support of the Aftermarket's premier podcast. Hey, anything on your mind, 
I love to hear from you. Don't hesitate to make contact with me at karm at remarkableresults.biz. That's biz. Or head over to the contact page on the website. Please share this podcast with your friends and help all ships rise. Thanks. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. Thank you.